Okay. Welcome to episode two of Essential Adaptations. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Jeff Frederick. In a minute, I'll bring in uh, my co-host, uh, Dr. John Juliana. So uh, this episode, John, is going to be really exciting. We've got a live guest interview with Dr. Melissa Lockwood, and she's got a lot to say about success and what's gotten her there and where she is in life. And uh, we've got uh, The Puzzler, uh, which we always throw in there. And uh, we have a new puzzler. We have a winner from uh, two weeks ago. And we've got a really important thing to talk about is coding issue. There is a uh, little known, I would say 50% of our colleagues don't know something about routine foot care that I think is very important for them to understand. And we'll cover that uh, in depth so they really get a, a handle on this. Um, so we are ready for episode two. Um, essential adaptation starts now. Okay, so uh, here we are, John, for episode two of Essential Adaptations. And uh, one of the things, uh, we've gotten a lot of great feedback on uh, doing this and doing this uh, for our profession, which I really like. It is something that has been needed for quite some time, uh, dynamic conversation about what's happening in podiatry. And uh, I know that uh, you've gotten some great feedback. We've got a great, great live video podcast today. We've got a special guest. We've got some very important coding issues that we're going to talk about that I think uh, should have been brought to the surface in podiatry that some people know and some people don't know, and it gets them into trouble if they don't know it. We've got another puzzler coming our way. We've got the winner of last week's or two weeks ago's puzzler. We got a lot of guesses on uh, what your background was and uh, some great guesses on uh, what the picture we showed was and we're going to do another puzzler um, Are you ready John? I'm ready Jeff. I got my brand new headsets on that you sent me making me look like a Lufthansa pilot I appreciate that <laughs> um, and you sent me this Harry Como microphone that I'm very appreciative of although it doesn't work So I'm gonna just put that aside <laughs> Maybe it was intentional. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, so I think uh, um, uh, I just wanted to mention briefly about, you know, people reopening their offices and some of the things that are going on and not to uh, blow our own horn at TrackNet, but everybody who's a TrackNet client is going to learn shortly, and I just uh, talked to our partner, uh, Dr. Safadine, about this, is we are, uh, because of our affiliation with DocShop Pro, we are mailing out to every single one of our clients a uh, PPE package at no charge. So they're going to get some face shields, some masks, all sorts of stuff uh, just on us. And uh, it's something that we could do. Everybody feels like they're handcuffed in this COVID crisis and they don't know what's going on and they don't know what they should be doing, shouldn't be doing. How do they help their communities? Uh, so we decided that uh, all 2,000 of our clients are going to get this package. And uh, unfortunately, yesterday I spent a lot of time packing packages. So that's a lot of, a lot of work to do, but uh, I'm happy to do it because we can. All right, so let's, uh, let's move right into getting our first guest in here uh, for our interview. Now, um, what we were thinking about is uh, podiatry's future and its past, and how do we interview somebody 
that is right in the middle of their career and uh, is very successful at it. Somebody that's been through uh, what it is to open your own office, somebody that's uh, been through uh, turning their office into a success, creating an environment and an atmosphere that makes them very successful and that has a big future in, in front of them. Uh, and the first person that uh, came to mind in, in my mind was uh, Melissa Lockwood. And uh, you know her also, John. Uh, I'll give you a little background in case you don't remember, but uh, basically she's been in practice for 12 years. Um, she has a practice uh, called Heartland Foot and Ankle Associates, uh, which is uh, somewhere around Chicago, which makes her uh, an hour behind us in time, but uh, the only time that counts is ours. So are you ready for her, John? I certainly am. I'd love to interview Melissa. I've known her for many years since she's been a member of the AAPPM, and I'm privileged to work with her every month as uh, one of her consultants and mentors, and she has a phenomenal practice. So Let's uh, bring her in. We're, we're looking forward. Yep, we're looking forward to having uh, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hi. So there she is. Uh, um, uh, happy... So um, quarantine's okay. We are in month four, I think. Um, so we, we actually live uh, about two and a half hours south of Chicago. So we've been so incredibly blessed that we are a little bit isolated from a lot of these hot spots and things in these larger cities. But um, we have had it affect us. Um, Illinois has been, um, as you may have seen in some of the national news, we've been pretty, pretty strict. We're just starting this month in June. We're just starting to open some things up. Sure. Um, so uh, we do know that you've built an extremely successful practice. And um, the question always becomes people coming out of school. Uh, mm -hmm. You've been out long enough to, to help people with this question. Uh, did you, you know, do you open coal to practice? Do you buy a practice? Uh, do you work for somebody for a few years first? I mean, what is, if you were looking back, and it's only been 12 years, but you, that's fresh in your mind, is what do you think uh, the advice for a practitioner would be coming coming out right now? So um, just as a background, we opened the practice on October 28th, 2008, which was three weeks after they declared the national recession. So this is not this crisis right now is is it's no big deal that they're giving they're giving money right now for this stuff. So this isn't something that I'm I'm overly concerned about if somebody was thinking about um, opening their own practice. Uh, I have a natural bias towards practice ownership because of the entrepreneurship associated with it. Uh, I didn't, I never expected to enjoy being an entrepreneur as much as I do. Um, so my advice to young practitioners would be to just go for it. Um, you can learn the billing and coding. I didn't know anything. Uh, you can learn how to run the practice as long as you have, like John alluded to, as long as you have really good mentors, um, you're involved in these different organizations like the AAPPM, um, like Top Practices. I'm a Top Practices member as well to really make sure that you're on the right path toward um, success. You said something very interesting that you see not just in podiatry, in our industry, you see in every industry, looking for people that are successful, mentors, learning from other people. Mm -hmm. Quite often we see a doctor trying to do it on their own and trying to figure stuff out. Uh, unfortunately, I believe you can't 
You can't afford to make those kind of mistakes, but you also said something really important is take the chance, count on yourself, and you can do it even though you're facing surmounting financial ruin. Uh, you have tons of debt coming out of school like most people. Um, and I've always been a believer in if you believe in yourself, you can make it happen. Yeah, I, I, I can't agree with that more. I mean, in fact, I feel like now is an is an opportune time to get into the market of of private practice because of three big reasons. One, um, hospital systems are struggling with what's happening in our current um, healthcare environment, um, financially specifically. So the the lucrative associate contract that you may have gotten from a hospital or even from another podiatrist, um, from what I'm hearing, is just not necessarily still there and still available. So um, as a young doc, uh, I would really, I would really strongly consider just opening up on my own. Um, I actually do bias against purchasing a practice. And this is just my opinion in the sense that if you're going to pay money for it, you might as well build it the way you exactly want it versus buying a used house or a used car. Interesting idea because uh, there's two sides of that fence is do I start scratch from zero or do I take a practice that has uh, issues or how it's going to how it's going to run but that does come with a database of patients. So there's a positive and negative to that, I would I would assume. Right. My, my, my answer to that is that database is probably not worth the paper it's printed on. And, and, and I only say that because, you know, they may may or may not. I guess that's let me rephrase. It's worth what you do with the list. And most of the time, doctors, when they're purchasing a practice, they're spending an exorbitant amount of money. Um, to purchase this list that they have nothing to, they have no idea what to do with it. So um, I, that's where I feel like it might be a, a wasted opportunity for them, but it's still, you could take advantage of that as well. Yeah. And, and, and in either case, I'm sure you'd agree that both the technology and the mentorship is going to be crucial because yes. out of school, most doctors know everything they need to know about being a good clinician, but not necessarily a good business person. You'd agree? Yeah, I would. I And I would even challenge that we don't know how to be good clinicians. Um, you know, again, from mentorship opportunities, I, you know, learning how to script, learning how to, like, these are things like, I, I smile because I'm thinking back of how many times I've gone over scripts with, with you, John, and I'm like, what do you think of this? And if I'm saying this, and and the, the phrase, it is critical that we do something is 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 just natural in our practice at this point. And it wasn't in the beginning. I've really learned how to be a better clinician um, and a better leader because of those mentorship opportunities. Let, let's hit Terrific. on something uh, that nobody wants to talk about, but I think is just as important as the success part is the failure part. Yeah. So uh, all of us, uh, uh, all of us here and people that are successful also have failures and they're always uh, at the time seeming like crises. You want to tell us a little bit about your failures because no. you're successful. You're very successful now. Uh, yeah. but uh, it covers up where the failures were. Right. It, it definitely, you know, it hides the warts, right? Um, so I would say failure probably for our practice and for me comes into three different categories. So the first of which would be in the wide realm of human resources. And when I say that, I mean, you know, when I first opened the practice, I had no idea how to you know, a, a hire someone, but B let somebody go or even mentor and lead someone so that they can do and work within the vision that I had for the practice. So that has been an evolving issue. And I can't emphasize enough the importance of 
you know, hire very slowly, fire very quickly. I mean, this is multiple occasions of where I just shake my head at probable lost money, but just shake my head at the, the interpersonal headaches within the practice because of a bad hire. And this is multiple times, multiple positions within the practice. So, um, you know, we had um, an experience when we first hired our very first associate doctor and it just, it, it was my fault. We just didn't work out. And, you know, same with, with medical assistants and other team members. So HR specifically has been a, an ongoing struggle. So I go to HR seminars now. I go to specific ones for for how to lead and uh, make sure I know every law because trusting an office manager to, to know that isn't appropriate. I needed to know what I needed to know. Um, and the second would probably be technology. So when I came out into private practice, it was, you know, it's 2008. So I was kind of that, that hybrid kid. I, I'm a kid of the early 80s. So... I grew up with riding bicycles outside, but yet, you know, getting a computer. So it, it's very different. And I knew that I needed to be on the forefront of technology right away. So I never had paper charts in the practice or anything like that. I've had electronic health records um, the entire time. I am a track, I guess, full disclosure, I am a TrackNet user. Um, Excellent. So I, I am, and, and we very much enjoy our TrackNet. Although I do have to say, thank you for the DocShot Pro uh, the gift, although I, w I would like some speakeasy hand sanitizer as well. So, well, uh, here, okay. So, uh, just so you know, uh, any yeah. one of our guests that comes on, because speakeasy is our major sponsor and our baby, uh, so you're going to get a mug, a t shirt, and hand sanitizer will be sent yeah, to you I as a guest. Awesome. Yeah. I'm so None of which I have, Melissa. I have none of those things. He hasn't sent me one thing since I was episode number one. He sent you a broken microphone. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he sent me a broken microphone. Right. Um, so anyway, back to that. So so we'll talk technology. We'll talk that in a minute. But with technology, in the November of 2017, so we it was the it was the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, and you know, and this is to, this is really to tout you know how you have to continue to evolve with time. I would say, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. TrackNet Cloud was probably available for about a year and a half, two years at that point. I think yeah. like it came out in 15, right? Okay. So I was still on a server-based computer system at that point. And I have a local IT company that I really like. I really trust them. And again, when it comes to customer service, when we talk about this 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 failure, um, we really did make it work at the end. But uh, I walked into work on that Tuesday morning before Thanksgiving and our database was gone. Like the whole thing. Like I'm getting chills right now thinking about it. I'm like, what happened? So I, I remember that course. well. Oh God, it was awful. Um, so I remember I called the IT company and they got right on the horn. They spoke with Harley at, at, at TrackNet mm -hmm. right away. I, mean, I know who everybody is. Like I'm like, what's going on? And we spent the next three and a half weeks going through like forensic DNA of trying to figure out how to get the database back. We knew how it got corrupted. It was actually a failure locally on our server that the um, uh, te the tech company was very, I mean, they, they really came through and, and they spent eon, like so much time fixing this for us. You but know, that's, that's the story of the century. And, and we still have a ton of colleagues that are on local servers and it, it just makes no sense to me is this thought of, I don't, you well, know, I can't, it's my data and I want to keep it in lock and key. It is yeah. so backwards thinking that if you think Microsoft is going to lose your data because it's backed up 
umpteenth times all over yeah. the world, you you can always get the data recovered with Microsoft, right. no matter what you do. So you, you can, and I yeah, we switched to the cloud right away, <laughs> so we did that. Uh, we also have an extra data. Uh, back up in the office. It goes. We actually, not that we don't trust what we do with the cloud, the TrackNet, but we we do have another um, yeah. daily and then weekly backup locally, just because so I get nervous that, about that it. That was the biggest uh, big failure and a big mistake that uh, people going into practice have to avoid. You have to really look at where your technology is because, and John, we're going to do a whole episode on technology because I almost feel like an expert over the last eight years, understanding uh, development, servers, cloud, all this kind of stuff. But I could see that as being a big failure, losing your database of patients. <laughs> well, it gets, it gets worse before it gets better. So hold on a second. So you talk about, again, you talk about successes and um, things going well. And so I had just come back from the AAPPM meeting in Nashville, and I was probably six days behind in my billing, which I, I hardly ever am, but I was running around and doing, I mean, of course, it's like the time I was coming into work early that day to do my billing and I, yeah. So never again, we, it's done at the end of the day. We, we save, we print the daily schedule the night before just as a safe fail or a fail safe. Sorry. Um, we do that the night before it gets scanned in at the end of the day. So if we ever lost yep. the data, again, we can look at what that schedule looked like. Um, but it was a lesson, it was a lesson in, in, oh my gosh, what are you going to do? So that's probably number yeah. failure number two. Don't please be out <laughs> yep. of technology. So let's, um, let's move on to a something great lesson. really, really current is this, this lovely COVID, uh, uh, environment that we're in. And, uh, John and I uh, Jeff, talked Jeff, yes. before you, before that, I, I just want to have Melissa elaborate on something. Hmm. And, and I know that's going to be challenging because. Uh, when I was on episode one, I wish I had time to think about Jeff's questions because he interviewed me. Right. Um, but off the cuff, if you could tell the audience, what personal attribute do you think you have that led to the success? I know your practice very well. Right. That led to the successful practice that you have. What personal, one single personal attribute? tenacity and perseverance. I have to give two. <laughs> so like, I just, that's fine. That's I don't give up. That's, that's yeah. a really important point. Very good. That, that's huge. Uh, Cause most people try it, reject it, gone. Right. Yeah. And they do the same with yeah. any other aspect of their career. Like they're never good. I, and I guess maybe, I don't know. I would I would say that that you have to be positive about everything that's happening. As we start to talk about COVID and what's happening, you have to just look at the bright side. And I'm not, I'm definitely not an always bright side person. Um, one of my personal coach with Rem Jackson, he will definitely speak to the fact that when we have our calls, that is my opportunity to vent and to say I'm not okay. Um, I love my children desperately, but I've been home with them for four months now. So. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Anyway, sorry, we'll talk about COVID. Well, let, let's let's roll into COVID now, because you said something earlier that uh, you opened your practice during the 2008 depression, which is just yeah. very similar to what people are facing now. And maybe right. that that helped because uh, I know, uh, John, we've talked about uh, Melissa's practices. You have a very high what we call patient value or John, what do you call it? PVR. 
uh, visit value. Visit yeah, per visit, per visit revenue. And that's part of the strategy that uh, John and I had talked about is since less people will be coming through the door, and that's never a bad thing in my mind. I always liked when less people were coming through the door because I was making more money, more time was spent with the patient, yada, yada. But uh, let's talk about um, what your your COVID uh, recovery damage control is and, and how you move forward in your practice and, and a little bit about how you do that, how you get your patient value. And we're talking about money, but it also increases uh, uh, patient uh, uh, satisfaction and all the things that go along with it, but more people are interested in the money side of it, so I'll, I'll frame it in, in that work, network. So give us an idea of how you're dealing with the COVID issue and what the damage control and, and moving forward is for you. I mean, I think at least on this type of podcast, we would want to know, like, well, what are you doing to make sure that you're, you're still making money and, and, and having income come in? Um, okay, so if I can back up to March, so we received, I really, again, I'm in central Illinois. So when we started hearing word of this happening, I was not in any way, I was very naive in thinking that, that like something would, like our state would shut down. When, when California shut down a week and a half before Illinois did, we had no, no known cases anywhere near us. So I really wasn't thinking like that. So I will say that I probably could have even made some of our comments and some of our, our actions even a couple of days earlier. Um, but what really came down to it was, you know, as all three of us do, we travel a fair amount. And I received an email. Um, I fly Delta. So I received this email from, from Ed Bastain at the very beginning of, it was just a marketing email talking about what the airline was going to do to try to protect people during COVID. And I said to my husband, this was like March 6th, I said, we need to send one out to our patients. And he was like, no, we don't. You know, again, he's a little bit like certain things, both of us are, are very different on what we think we, was important. So I win because I'm the boss lady. Hmm. And I said, I'm going to send a Facebook message out to everybody and then we'll compose, we'll start to put together a plan for this. Now, from a marketing standpoint, what we've done that's been so successful, not just COVID, but specifically with COVID, is we've stayed communicative with our patient base in a variety of ways. So we've done weekly videos, we have done expressing what we're doing in the practice to keep them safe. We're just really emphasizing how are we keeping you safe. And then we also have been doing weekly emails out to them, which will usually have a link to the video. And we'll also kind of discuss all these different things that we're doing. So the valet medicine where there's no waiting room any longer. Um, we also have our curbside pickup. We do free local delivery for any products if they need any products from the office already. Um, we have a new online um, website or web store, I should say, for the products. Uh, we're really doing, we've just started doing home visits. My associate physician, my partner, he's, he's doing home visits for the short term until we're getting back up to speed. So we're really just trying to over communicate. The second thing we did was <laughs> expense damage control of, Hey, this is March 13th that they, this is a week later that they said, Nope, we're shutting the state down. Um, I, I have to tell you, that we breathed a sigh of relief, but then we also were really so grateful for the fact that we are considered essential. So we never closed. Uh, we adjusted our hours. We adjusted our staff's hours for the short term when our numbers went down, but we still stayed open. And again, our productivity and our profitability increased because we had the time to pay attention to um, all these other, we call them OFP, other foot problems. We really just try to make sure that we're really, really, 
talking to our patients and spending time. Uh, the biggest tip I have about that is that in the month of April, we every single patient that came into the practice that had commercial insurance got an orthotics benefit at least explained to them if they came in for an ingrown toe, but I would just ask them, Hey, you're working from home. Do your feet hurt? And you know, they're coming in for their follow-up ingrown and they're like, yeah, they do. It's really been bad. You need orthotics, like things that I would never do on a full clinic day. We just really tried to be super creative with it. Um, so and then you, the last I was going to say, did you, do you do this on a regular basis where you say, okay, just like a store today's sale is is we're all going to push orthotics not necessarily push but we're all going to mention and talk about the value of orthotics everywhere in this practice for this month and do you mm -hmm. pick like different ideas okay we're going to talk about shoes or we're going to talk about some topic that could benefit a patient but everybody's going to be in tune we're focused on that this month yes we do we do it quarterly so we got four major um, cash cows in our practice. We've got um, laser for fungus or so fungal nails. We've got um, orthotics and all the ramifications of that with heel pain, other musculoskeletal issues. We have um, our laser for pain, which you know is we're using as a primary treatment source now instead of NSAIDs or steroid medications. Um, and then we have our um, just our our general like diabetic patient base, like all the things we could be doing for our diabetic patients. It's not just nail care, it's diabetic shoe program. It's, you know, if they need it, a more, you know, another fall assessment for a more balanced brace. So we really try to focus quarter by quarter. Um, in theory, quarter two is all about fungus because it's spring and summer and people want to get better, but we've completely shifted it to orthotics and laser for pain because people aren't going anywhere to show off their toes. So they're more so focused right now. So we shifted what we would normally do. So that's, uh, I would consider that part of your marketing so Melissa, strategy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and you said something, you said something before that is, is very important. It relates to what Jeff was talking about with your per visit revenue. Yeah. Uh, and I'm curious if I heard you correctly that, when your volume went down, your production went up, and I haven't had a chance yet to look at your okay. May report, Wait, your May analysis. <laughs> but so you're so are saying your per visit revenue went up? Uh, Is dramatic. that right? Yeah, I mean, so mine was already high. I, mine was already really good, but um, Dr. Rizvi's is through the roof. The month of May, like he is just yeah. he is he's killing so, it. So I want to make it clear to everybody listening, because I touched upon this in episode one, where you have to think beyond the complaint and be comprehensive. You're going to be facing this low patient volume period for quite some time. Yeah. And in order to maintain profitability, you have to focus on more than just the chief complaint. You seem to have done things. You've, you've vertically integrated ancillary services mm -hmm. and you are practicing more comprehensively now by asking those questions. And I don't want anybody to think for a moment that I know what your per visit revenue is. You're in the top 5% of our profession, but I don't want anybody to think for a moment that you're doing things to just make money. Oh. It's actually patient-centric, evidence-based, value-added services that your patients love, get better outcomes from. Um, so that's something that you really have in your 12 years, you really have perfected it. One of the reasons why we definitely wanted you on this episode. So that's that's proof right there that 
in this lotion and volume environment, you can make an exceptional change to your practice for the better. Out of crisis comes opportunity. Yes. The other thing that uh, that you do very well is, and a lot of doctors don't do this, and I don't know why, is the confidence part of it. Like you're you're talking to patients about stuff you know works, and you have to believe it, understand it, and see it, and understand the pathology. I often watch doctors talk about something to a patient, or the way that they address. You need an orthotic, or you need you know this laser could be good for you. Um, they don't present it in a confident manner. And that's something that I guess you've always had, but you can learn that. And it's something that I think adds extremely well to your practice. Yeah. I, so I would, I would challenge back and say that it's not just a confidence issue. It's, it's practice. It's, we, we continually will do things like this where we're video recording ourselves, um, uh, working the whole team, not just myself and Dr. Risby, but we're all working and practicing. And we spent a lot of our COVID time, um, doing that. Like our downtime was, was retraining and fixing our, our, our HR manuals and things like that. Um, but I would say also like if there's a product or service that you're not a hundred percent confident in or even if you are so it's a service you know works and you, it inevitably will happen it doesn't work for a patient getting over yourself and being like okay yeah i'll refund you it didn't work for you i'm i'm sorry that it didn't work for you it goes so far i mean patients are grateful for that and you really you don't you you lose so much you lose so much of this intangible opportunity by arguing and fighting on something if it didn't it doesn't work for everybody we know that and if it doesn't work for you you put your money where your mouth is and we we've refunded things when it doesn't work yeah addressing addressing something that didn't work is really important just as important as as selling it or, or telling a person about it a lot right. of doctors don't do that well and i think that's a great great way to address it for sure hit it head on and and be honest and truthful yeah it works really really well so um Let's ask you about uh, giving uh, a business tip as well as a personal tip uh, to our colleagues out here. Maybe, you know, a tip in each category. If you could sum up what you've learned over the 12 years, what would be like your number one business tip and then a personal tip? And I know you've got a family and a husband and it's hard to balance. So think in, in terms like that of what you could, what you could tell the young doctor, Melissa, uh, 12 years ago. Um, so I, I think both kind of encompass the same thing that don't be afraid, don't be afraid to succeed. Um, and you know, from a bit to, to hone in on a, on a business perspective, um, <clears throat> don't be afraid to be, to be the best, to be that niche and, and to be okay that you're not the same as everybody else, because that it's so funny how this pendulum swings and, you know, now I have so many colleagues that are saying to me, oh, I'm about to leave this practice and I'm going to go start on my own. How did you do it? And and I'm like, well, I just did it. Like, and you, you're going to have to do it too and you're going to make mistakes. So you're going to make mistakes and don't be afraid of those mistakes. Um, balancing work and life. So I think, and this is even before COVID, you know, you have to know what's more important. And for us, for my family, my why is really, you know, the the, the emotional, physical, 
financial and you know mental security for my family that's that's my absolute why and what i do everything so if what i'm doing whether it be you know talking to you guys or uh, you know going to a zoom dance class for my daughter like trying to figure out the technology with that um everything it revolves around my family being happy and that extends to my heartland foot and ankle family my staff and my team so from a personal standpoint, there's no such thing as work-life balance. Your your life is what it is and work fits into it. And this business, although is a big driver of what we do when we have our, our, our lifestyle choices, it is not my life. And we have built our practice around the fact that we want to be with our children, we've we've actually been able to take this this situation in relative stride. Other than the fact that I'm, we're going a little crazy, um, you know, we've really been able to be home with our children. There hasn't been any segue for them, and it's it's been it's been really good. And we were planning on those types of things and working towards them before this. Excellent, good tips. That's great. That's great. So, uh, believe it or not, thirty minutes just flew by. Awesome. That was really, really quick. Um, I have a ton more questions for you, so we're going to have to invite you back on, on, on an additional episode because I want to dig deeper into what goes on in your practice so people yeah. can see the blueprint of why are you so, so successful? Where Where is this coming from? Because you started from zero and you're at, had, yeah. Yeah, you're at 12,000 12, uh, 12, miles per hour right now. And that's where everybody wants to be in a short period of 12 years, which is almost uh, impossible without that drive. So there's a, there's a lot to you that we haven't gotten to, but we will. Uh, but luckily for you, you'll be getting our prize packet for uh, coming on. Uh, we do appreciate it. That's the best we can do. We have a zero budget, so we can't, we, we can't do much of that. Um, absolutely. So uh, thank you for being here. We, we do appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for having Melissa, me. Melissa, thank you. Excellent. Yeah. You were great. Thanks Excellent. so much. I will, I will hopefully see you guys soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. All right. Thank you. All righty. Bye. Take care. Okay, John. So um, basically, um, we got a couple things we got to talk about uh, before this episode is o over. And one of them is really important. I'm going to get to this first because... We have to get to the puzzler, which is the other thing. But let's talk about this coding issue. And I had been in practice for 29 years, you very similar. Um, and uh, I did not know this piece of information. And I guess this came out, I want to say, uh, it, it, a few years back. I, I, in 2014 is really when it hit that CMS changed a policy. And I don't think a lot of our colleagues were aware of it, and some are. And it has to do with uh, routine foot care and billing corns and calluses and uh, mycotic nails together. And At, um, risk, at risk foot care. At, at risk yeah. foot care, yeah. And yeah. Um, one of the things that I want people to understand, it's um, at risk foot care is uh, a necessary piece of uh, work that podiatrists do. And uh, they came out, CMS, with a policy. Their first inclination was that you could not bill uh, debridement of corns and calluses and mycotic nails together. That was, that was their initial feel. And it got negotiated back to, that's crazy. What does one have to do with the other? 
two different things. You know, a nail is not a coronary callus or a lesion that needs to be taken care of, which could lead to issues. So what ended up, uh, when all the dust settled, and I didn't know this either uh, until I did a lot of research because I'm, I'm defending a doctor during an audit, that if you bill a mycotic nail, you are not uh, going to get paid or not allowed to debride the coronary callus if it's at the DIPJ or distal. Um, which to me was like, where did this come from? Because it's still two different things. So Jeff, let me just make something clear. You are going to get paid for it because Medicare can't differentiate between a proximal digit corn and a distal digit corn. Correct. The, the problem is if you get audited and in your note, it says it was on the DIPJ or the distal tip of the toe, they're going to money back. That's the problem. And frankly, I didn't know that either. I had no idea that was a general uh, LCD policy of Medicare. That's just crazy. That is, uh, and if you ask, I believe 50% of our colleagues, I don't think know that or really understand that. I don't know where this information has been hiding, but I did read the Medicare policy. I will, um, I will get that information out on our next podcast. I will put a link where you can read it for yourself from CMS. It talks about it. Um, and, uh, so that's something to look forward for the next episode is getting the link so you can, you can read it yourself, but it's definitely, uh, they consider the DIPJ and anything distal as part of the nail. Now that logic is just crazy, but that's the logic we have to live with. And that's the rules that we have to live with. And, and we're going to have to live with it. Um, so like you said, you'll get paid, but, um, uh, not surviving an audit is is worse. So you got to be real careful about that. We don't want to see that happen. So this brings us to an important part of this program, uh, which you know as the puzzler. And um, so last time uh, we talked about, uh, we gave two puzzlers. And I, I'm sad to report only one was solved. And... Uh, um, so the one that was solved uh, was, I guess, the, the easier of the two. Um, I, I would think it's the easier of the two. We put up a painting and we said, what movie was this painting from? And uh, it, definitely, um, it definitely is um, from Goodfellows. And you'll remember the scene, John, uh, where uh, they go to the mother's house, I think it is, and... Um, they see uh, she has this painting. I think she was painting it. Was that the whole thing? Yeah. 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 So she was painting it. <laughs> yeah. So, Jeff, here's a little piece of trivia about that whole scene, which some people don't know either. You're right. They went to the the home of, uh, of um, I just blanked out on this. It name. was Scorsese's yeah. mom. That's that's Scorsese's mom in that scene, and yeah, she plays yeah. she plays a number of roles in his pictures. She plays Pesci's mom, right? She in the in the movie she plays Joe Pesci's mom, but in real life that's Martin Scorsese's mother. Wow, that that is something. So the answer was Goodfellows. Uh, we have a winner, and uh, we had a couple winners on this, but I'm always judging it by who was first in, first to the <clears> plate was Dr. Teresa Rinaldi guessed it correctly. Unfortunately, John, nobody could get puzzler number two of what, what profession you had other than pharmacy and podiatry uh, for quite some time early in your career. 
we had a lot of good guesses. Some people thought you might have been a golf caddy. Some people alluded to you were a gigolo. Um, <laughs> so you want to you want to give that answer uh, so uh, people uh, uh, can feel resolved. Yeah. So uh, when I was 17, I took a job in a meatpacking plant, and uh, for many years subsequent to that, worked my way up, and eventually ran and operated a meat packing plant in Orange, New Jersey. It was part of a, it became part of a turnaround project after I got my master's in management and whatnot. It actually became part of a turnaround project for me that I ran and operated a meat packing plant uh, for a number of years, even while I was practicing as a podiatrist. It was a weekend, uh, a weekend thing for me. That that is I, that would be a tough guess. Although you have talked about it uh, when you've lectured uh, throughout the world, so people should have known that. All right, so on to the puzzler for this week. And remember, if you know the answer to this, first in is going to be the winner of our prize pack, which is uh, 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 we're giving away a speakeasy mug, some hand sanitizer, and a nice T-shirt that uh, says speakeasy on it. Which you will get one also eventually, John. I <laughs> know. Um, this week's puzzler is also from the movie industry, and it's an expression. I need two answers on this, what it means and what movie it's from. So the expression is this, John, and you'll know this right away. We're going to the mattresses. What does that mean? We're going to the mattresses. It could mean a lot of different things, but it's the specific meaning of what it meant in the movie and what movie it was from. So you got to get two parts uh, to get this one right. You don't want to guess because I know you know. Oh, I know. You don't want me to guess. I'll give it away. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's our puzzler. Uh, again, just email your uh, answer at info at essentialadaptations.com. First in is the winner. So uh, we'll see. And again, congrats, uh, congratulations to Dr. Rinaldi for uh Guessing uh, the painting from uh, Goodfellas. Okay, excellent. So um, I think we're about to wrap up. We got anything, uh, parting words, John? No, I, th I look forward to episode number three where we're going to have another special guest. And again, this is designed to just help our colleagues get out of this hibernated state um, and uh, really resurrect and reinvent their practices. Episode number three, another special guest. Melissa yep. did a great job. I think she did. And uh, we are always, we have a full schedule ahead of us. We've already planned all this out. But if you have uh, something to contribute to the podiatry's conversation, we want to hear from you. And we'd love to bring you on as a guest if we think that it's going to uh, help our colleagues be more successful because that's why we're here. We're here to make sure we open everybody's eyes on what's happening and bring the issues to light and hopefully in, in uh, uh, depth where it will benefit everybody that, that listens. So again, thank you as always, John. Uh, I, hate to keep, I hate to keep you up late at night because I know you like to go to bed early. This is way past my bedtime, pal. <laughs> All right. I look forward to episode three, which will be uh, in two weeks. Uh, I think it's June 3rd is the first Wednesday. So it's, uh, no, this is the June 3rd, right? What's the date today? I've, I've lost my mind. Today, today, is, today, is, today is June 3rd. That's what's confusing you. Hang on. So the, two weeks the, from uh, now. Yeah, the, the next episode is going to be uh, on the 17th. 
June always 7th. a Wednesday and always at eight o'clock at night. So I just want to comment about this June 3rd thing. I've lost track of what day it is. Every day is like Groundhog Day here. It, I, I'm losing it. I don't Trust even know. me, I, I'm in the same same boat. I I wake up, but I sometimes I wake up and I don't even know what state I'm in. That used to be the problem when I did a lot of traveling. Uh, but now I don't know what day it is. Excellent. All right. Uh, thank you again. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Have a good night. Thank you. Okay. So